That's the one glue that binds us all together. Can we take like one minute in solidarity to say, in spite of all that's going on in the world today, let's just look to our left, look to our right, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. Let's put it all aside and let's just like be Americans during, during, during this song for like one minute. Can we do that? And I want you to think about that soldier that has to deliver that flag and take a knee and hand it and say the words on behalf of a grateful nation. And we need to be empathetic on both sides. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360 degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. We are coming to you live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in Houston, Texas. I like saying that. As always, I am joined by my uh, co-host, co-host extraordinaire, Mr. David DeRogue. Good afternoon. Yeah. Or good morning, rather. Yeah, you yeah, two, minutes. Good morning. Two, two minutes. Two minutes. Two this minutes. is the afternoon. We yeah. are the day is full stream ahead. We have a. Uh, we, this is amazing. We're kind of in a podcast marathon right now, right? We're just doubling down on espressos, yeah. interviewing anybody that comes in the building right now. Not anybody. We're, we, we have discerning taste. True. But I mean, honestly, if you're close, come by. You're getting on, the, you're getting on right now. We've got, uh, we've got a couple special guests. We have another co-host. You've been here before. Uh, Laura Schilling, thank you for co-hosting yes. with us again. Convince get- me to return. Thank you for the return invitation. Well, you give us incredible... Uh, credibility. Uh, no question. <laughs> I mean, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about this, uh, in just a second here, and but Josh's pink shoelaces. I look good. He escaped this morning. Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm eating. I'm our other special, our other special guest, our, our guy we're going to be talking Speaking to of special he's, shoes he's, here. he's got good taste. He's wearing boots. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got plenty, plenty of those. <laughs> plenty of boots. So that, that voice you just heard is, uh, Wesley Hunt. He is running for Congress in what's called Texas seven. It now, I know the answer to this, but we have to ask it. This is our this is our obligatory question that we ask every guest. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have been on a podcast before. Did it 
Did they look more professional than this? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, I like hearing that. <laughs> it, gets so. no, it gets no more professional than where I'm sitting right now. Well, this is going better than I thought so far. Well, there's, well, there's Woodford Reserve in the room, so you have me at Woodford. Uh, well, we appreciate that, but I am contractually <laughs> obligated to say, actually, it's only Fletcher Azul Tequila. That's it. That's the only thing. <laughs> Aaron Marquez was in here. Um, speaking of Aaron, this is a good segue. So Aaron Marquez was a guest a couple months back, and yeah. he is the uh, chairman of a couple different companies, but one of them is Wildcat oil tools. And another one that he has is this Fletch Azul tequila. Aaron is a very well-dressed guy. He is just kind of known in the industry as just being put together all the time, makes us all look bad. And I made I a think couple- he has some competition. Today. This is yeah, my well, point. Uh, yeah. I think he has some strong competition. Strong, uh, if, with Mr. It's Hyde. a shame we don't have our cameras in place because our guest looks, I mean, you might've outdone Aaron, which is saying something. So being that you've been on another podcast, thank you for coming on ours. Yeah. And this is a somewhat of a unique podcast. For, this is the Oil Fill 360 podcast. We focus on really anything energy related, upstream, downstream, midstream, and the people that are involved in it, whether they be the leaders that are, you know, in the, the trenches on a day-to-day basis, or the people that are around or surround the industry and have influence on it. So we've had uh, industry organization leaders come on. We are, the show is apolitical. Like we, we root for people that like to win. And that doesn't necessarily mean exclusively to the uh, oil and gas or energy business, because we obviously want the industry to do well. So having you on is, it is somewhat unique for us, but we, you and I and, and Laura had lunch a couple yeah. weeks back and you have ideas that are interesting. And we figured that it'd be a nice conversation to come on and uh, have you explain them further and how you got to this world and what does it look like? David, I think had really the best line kind of off camera here was you're so smart. Why are, what are you doing? <laughs> and um, so I, I want to just kind of go through, and I think it's a good place to start with you is your resume. It's fantastic. It, it's very, very similar to mine. Just long. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's, that's Ivy not league schools. Yeah. That's not anything like military mine. service. <laughs> yeah. So what, what does your, can you give us a little background on, on where you came from and, and how you got to this place? Sure, Absolutely. Um, first of all, happy to be here. Thank you all so much. Thank you for being here. Um, and, Born and raised here, here in here in Houston, Texas. And I always tell people that first football game I went to was for the Houston Oilers when I was growing up as a kid. Love your blue days, right? So uh, this is my town, this is my home, uh, and this is where I plan on staying uh, for the foreseeable future and and raising my family. Come from a military family, so my dad uh, did 23 years in the army. I retired as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, my sister went to West Point first, so she graduated West Point class of 1993. And then went on to do, to do 23 years active duty, two combat deployments, was a military intelligence officer, and came back here to Houston. Uh, I went to West Point, my family second, and so graduated West Point class of 2004. Uh, went on to become an Apache helicopter pilot, uh, deployed to Iraq, flew 55 combat air missions there. Interesting times, to say the least. And then did two combat tours in Saudi Arabia as a diplomatic liaison officer. And then lastly, the baby, my brother and my best friend. Give him a hard time, but he also went to West Point and he graduated West Point class of 2005. Wow. We're 10 months and eight days apart from each other, by the way. So, that's just to make sure in the eight days, the eight days are serious. This matters. <laughs> that um, might be you're pushing the quickest you can have another baby at that point. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and then he actually went into the Navy uh, upon graduating from West Point. They went to Harvard Business School, uh, moved back to Houston, works for a company called Egon Zender here in downtown Houston. So, we are a Houston family. Mm-hmm. Uh, with 60 years worth of military service just in my immediate family. And so when somebody asks me, you know, why are you doing this? My response is actually pretty easy. The Hunt family can't help ourselves. Right. We, we, uh, we love this country. We sacrifice for this country. And that's the kind of sacrifice that it takes to preserve our values and our way of life for our future. And this country has come a long way on the backs, on the blood, on the sweat and tears of a lot of fine Americans. And if we don't fight for this next generation, then we can lose all this. So it makes it very easy to get up in the morning and take this on when I look at my, you know, now 17-month-old baby girl, and I think about everyone else's children and their grandchildren, and I think about where the country is headed. People like me have got to get into this fight for the next generation, particularly millennials like me, because we are the ones that are going to have to be responsible for what's happening right now here in the future. You know, when you're a kid, you, you think of a um, senator, congressman, elected official as being an old guy, right? right, right. Typically, 
And right. it's not. I mean, it is a younger, uh, more diverse crowd than ever before. And, you know, when you, I was hoping you would point out the fact that you're a millennial, it is important. I mean, there is a there is a new leadership that's coming uh, out in politics and Laura and, and David in oil and gas. And it does seem like the time of leadership change. We call it the great crew change yeah. in oil and gas. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting to hear you, you know, I, I hope that a lot of millennials are listening to this. We do have a pretty young audience at SKUs. You know, it's a good, great yeah. age group. So I just hope that everybody hears that they should get involved in this kind of stuff. Yeah, David. Well, I think it's also too, you, I'm glad you brought up your military service, but also your time in Saudi Arabia and quite frankly, around the world. Mm -hmm. It gives you perspective, which I think a lot of people don't have when you think about the United States of America. What's interesting is that so many people don't have the benefit of perspective of what life is like right. outside of the United States of America. Do you, do you think that gives you perspective that others may not have? It most certainly does. So when you spend a combat tour in Baghdad in 2006, when we were losing 100 troops per, per, per month at that time, and then you live in Saudi Arabia, and while I was there, women couldn't drive, by the way, by the time I left there in 2012. Now, two years ago, that ban was lifted, but that was in that was 2018, yeah. right? Women could not drive. So when I, whenever you think back, and I hearken back to these experiences that, 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 I, that I've had, I got back to the U.S. as fast as I could, and I'm never leaving here again. It's just that simple. Um, but you're right. It's a lot of perspective. And we are benefiting from a lot of sacrifice from previous generations. And what's happened now is that people are forgetting the sacrifices that were made by those before them. And so when you don't know how hard it was or you don't understand the sacrifices that were made, it makes it really easy to think that everywhere is better but here. And after spending that time in the Middle East, you're sorely mistaken, sorely mistaken. And I, I joke, I've, I've been on every continent with the exception of, of Antarctica. And everywhere is nice to visit, but there's only one place I want to live. Well, and Laura, just jump in because David and I, we're double, we're double espressoed. So at this <laughs> well, point, it's hard to stop us. Well, I think it's interesting to think about the crew change that has already been taking place on the oil and gas side. Uh, you know, obviously you're well aware of um, the shrinking in, in our business, especially how devastating the velocity of change has been just in the marketplace in this last nine months. Right. And, um, but your, your comment on the, the crew change is interesting to think, what are your observations as you watch the same sort of crew change happening um, uh, with folks who want to get involved with whatever their local government is, or folks like yourself who have decided to have the courage to go after the big, big government in Washington, DC and have a voice there. What are your observations as you look at this new generation who wants to have a voice in uh, the future? It's why this so is why this great, great, great question, Laura. So it's why this country is absolutely remarkable is because every time in every generation, particularly after a conflict or after war, these people that went and basically went out, fought wars, we've seen the worst in humanity. And then we realize just how important it is to preserve this country. Now that we are done with the kinetic operations piece, with the deployment, with the, with the deployments, with the military piece, now we're looking back and we say to ourselves, okay, how else can I continue to serve this country? Because I've seen the worst and we have got to keep this thing going. So if you saw this, the last time we had, you know, a high number of veterans in Congress and running for Senate mm -hmm. at, at the federal level was post-World War II. This is, this is the, so right now, this is the fewest number of veterans that we've had in Congress since then. And then now you're seeing the Dan Crenshaw step up. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing the post 9-11 veterans step up. And, and, and these numbers are, are, are going to, you know, double and triple over, over the course of the, of the next few elections because we sense the idea of a new kind of leadership in Washington is necessary. That's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that, of mm -hmm. just that there would be that many uh, veterans running. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's three just in my West Point class right now. So oh, really? a gentleman named Rob Mercury, he's running up in, up in Pennsylvania. John James is running for Senate in Michigan. And I'm running in this seat here, here in Houston. How interesting. That's, that's really that's cool. That's just my class of 2004. So how have you found the process so far? Because I, I know you um, had a job in, <laughs> in uh, Houston before this. And can you talk <laughs> about uh, uh, waking up that day and realizing you were going to go have the courage to enter this process, which doesn't take any prisoners, I might add, right. uh, whether no matter whether what side of the aisle yeah. that you're on. 
Right. So uh, I've been thinking about doing this for a while. You know, somebody asked me, you know, when did you think you'd be running for public office? I was like, probably like middle school when I ran for class president, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, something that's just kind of been on my just kind of been on my mind. I thought it would be later than than now. Um, but when you think about Houston, Texas, this is where I grew up, the energy capital of the world, Congressional District 7 has the entire energy corridor is encompassed within this, within this district almost. And when you think about, you know, Bel Air, West University, River Oaks, Tanglewood Memorial, the energy corridor all the way out to Katy, and then north of I-10, you have Jersey Village in the western part of Cyprus. That is Houston energy. oil and yeah. gas and energy central. And so when you think about what is coming from the far left in terms of basically destroying the energy business by 2035, which is what President Biden has vowed to do. Vice President. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Vice President Biden. Has, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Let's Vice get President, that correct. <laughs> right? Vice President Biden has vowed to do. I see this. I see my community. I know what we have. I know what made Houston. And it, and it is the energy industry. Mm -hmm. And we cannot lose that. We saw what happened in Pittsburgh. Uh, when the steel industry left, we saw what happened in Detroit when the automotive industry left. And that can easily be Houston by 2035 if we aren't smart about this. Well, I mean, you know, I'm a, I, I truly personally, I operate under the, if you want to make an omelet, you have to crack some eggs. Right. And sometimes I'm, I've accepted the fact that if I'm one of those eggs and whatever aspect of it, for the greater good, I'm willing to sacrifice. That's right. But when you talk about that Houston is an oil and gas, that's fine. And I understand what you're saying there. But ultimately, this is a bigger issue nationally. This is, there is American energy independence on this, uh, and it, it just so happens that the, the, you know, the brain, if you will, is in Houston, yeah. but this is a national it issue that, is. that on a, the whole reason we started the podcast was to tell stories of, and tell the energy and oil and gas story that we're not, that the media is not telling. So I don't know how involved, uh, you know, that when you do get to Washington, I wonder what kind of audience that you are going to be open to and, and receptive to. One of the questions that we asked Dan um, Crenshaw was, do you have the energy? Do you have the energy to go up there and, and run into a brick wall? And I would say this to either any politician running on either side. I mean, there's a wall there and you just have to have the energy to, to run for it. What motivates you to push through whatever wall that you're going to run into? So I, you've heard me mention my West Point class probably two or three times now. I'm very, very proud of my class. I'm very, very proud to be a West Pointer. The most proud, the most, the, the biggest thing about my class that makes me proud though are the 14 classmates that are no longer with us because they were killed in combat in the global war on terror and one of them was a good friend of mine his name is david frazier i went to westfield high school we we grew, we grew up together he was killed on his last mission actually in baghdad in 2006 mm -hmm. the greatest honor i've had in my entire life and will, will forever be my greatest honor in my entire life is giving his eulogy and when you think about a 26 year old young man fresh out of combat we were actually in baghdad together and I made it home, but he didn't. And 13 others, 14 total, didn't make it home, and I did. We have got to continue to serve for those who are no longer here to serve for themselves. So they paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to have these freedoms. And so running through a brick wall, hey, look, I get to wake up every morning and put my feet on the ground and breathe American air hmm. uh, on, the, on the backs, on the blood of my 14 classmates. Makes it very easy to run through any kind of wall knowing that. It would make it more fun to have the Apache to, to, to break. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, uh, we were doing some pre-show warm-up and my notes, uh, Laura Schilling and I have different approaches to interviews. <laughs> she likes to be prepared. I, I only make notes just to make Laura happy. And I'm really glad that we didn't it's really to make him look intelligent. Yes. I'm just really even. <laughs> well, so as I'm hearing that story, number one, I want to help you run through that brick wall. And I, and I mean that, that just, that's the kind of commitment that I wish we all had. Yeah. And, um, and I'm glad I don't have a bunch of notes because I'm not sure we would have ever gotten to that. And <laughs> it, it really is, what what do you there's a lot to talk about right i mean there really is it's just it's where do we want to go with this conversation because yeah go ahead david because i i could go a hundred different directions here. I, I think it's the kind of perspective that that in my mind that has been missing in in washington for a long time i'm thrilled to see the veteran community coming in uh to office not that they haven't already provided enough sacrifice and service to the country well energy, little, energy is contagious 
Yeah. That, I, I'm sorry to cut you there, but like even that, like that's a contagious energy, yeah. right? So it's just a yeah. matter of how does how does the world get behind energy that's focused on policies that are not myopic and they're fo focused on the greater good. Well, it is exciting to see a generation that wants to see people in DC that look like themselves. That's right. That is, that is actually a positive thing. I agree. You know, there's been a time where there was no diversity that you saw from people speaking from podiums. And it is pretty exciting to see that our generation is caring. Now, how that energy gets transferred can all be debatable, but mm -hmm. pretty exciting to see some some folks that want to go into that conversation mm -hmm. from all walks of life. I who, agree who want to represent their base. And I think that's a, that's a positive thing. I, I mean, I think the other thing that you, Wesley, you mentioned about your district, I mean, it is unique that you're talking about a district that has so many jobs in Houston tied to energy. Yeah. I think um, it's exciting to think about the fact that jobs in energy used to look one way now because of digital and because of the digital revolution. And um, yes, unfortunately, because of the um, re reduced demand that we're seeing for yep. um, natural gas and, and crude is one thing, but there's a whole disruption happening in our market around energy transition. Um, you've got the CEOs of BP and Shell and a number of other companies in our industry talking about um, a different energy mix, and Houston is is actually perfect for that intersection of yeah. all of these discussions around um, whether it's natural gas and electricity to hydrogen and um, you know other types of energy mix coming into um, fruition. Houston's actually a big part of that discussion. It's and and I promise you, we'll let the guest actually speak here in a minute. But we love no, to hear no, ourselves no. talk, so we're great at this. Yeah, and it, you know when you're talking about uh, Laura that Houston's a great mix for that. It is. Houston's a great mix for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a diverse city. It's a unique city. And, you know, it is. And, and on that note, kind of following up with what Laura was saying that Congress people are starting to look like those that represent them. And we've, we've purposely kind of delayed some of this information because I want, I want people to understand what's going on. But when you and I first had lunch, um, I sat down and I said to you very, you know, just, honestly and candid to you, I said, I'm, I'm not very politically correct. I don't know how to be political. I'm not very good at it. That doesn't mean I've just, I've never been, had to be around it. And I said, so I struggle with the term African-American yeah. and you go, Hey, look, man, I'm a black guy. A black guy. <laughs> and I just thought that was the greatest way. Like, and then you took over from there and I'd like you to just kind of explain like, what is, you know, what is it like running because when you were in kindergarten thinking about running for Congress, you probably <laughs> didn't anticipate 2020 looking no, like this electoral season. Right. All right. This has been an interesting time being a black Republican. <laughs> let me tell you that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but this is a values conversation that I like to first of all open up with. And values has no color. Right. So if I'm a Houston Texan and I love the oil and gas industry and the energy industry that's that made this city what it is. I mean, look, I, I don't want to see it go away. Therefore, it makes my allegiance pretty easy on this on this point. Um, but, you know, we can't act like that. We, we can't avoid the, the racial stuff that we're seeing in the country, particularly right now. One, one funny story for you. So I went to Cornell for grad school and I did uh, three master's degrees in four years. I did a master's in business, a master's in public administration and a master's in industrial and labor relations. In so case you're counting at home, he's a lot smarter than you are. <laughs> but, but keep going. And it's, that's, that's, that's money, policy, and people. And one interesting thing about, you know, being in Ithaca, New York, and I actually consider that to be my, my fourth combat deployment because uh, it's, it's really cold and it's, <laughs> and it's really liberal. But uh, one of the cultures that's in Ithaca is coffee shops. Like a lot of people would go to coffee shops and just sit around and talk. It was kind of what you did to, to, to solve all the problems of the world, right? So you could imagine me. I mean, I was fresh out the military, like fresh out of Saudi Arabia. So I got out the military in 2012, in like May 2012. And by August, I'm in Ithaca, New York, starting grad school. Okay, just bam, bam. And I walk into a coffee shop and I have on boots, I have on a t-shirt and, and, and a hat. And I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm a, come from a military background. You're a Texan. I'm an Apache pilot. I'm conservative in Ithaca. And I'm black. Uh, and what I realized is that even though these conversations started off kind of contentious initially, because obviously there, there were very liberal people and I am not, you'd be surprised at what just dialogue and what conversation can do for the soul. Mm -hmm. So even though we were different, even though we clearly didn't see the world the same way, 
by the time we finish a couple of cups of coffee, we all realize that we all want what's best for each other. That's just mutual respect. That's just admiration. It's just love. That's all we want. If you just sit down and talk to people and talk about your own personal experiences yeah. and share that. And so in the wake of what we have seen recently, particularly with the George Floyd incident and where I am right now, um, and right now there's only one uh, black Republican currently in Congress that's war heard and he's not seeking reelection. So um, when I win, I will be the probably the only black uh, Republican in Congress. And I am not an identity politics person. In fact, I despise it. I hate it. I'm a diversity of thought person. And yeah. so I want people to support me, not because I'm black. I want people to support me because I serve this country. I want to die for it. I want to die for it tomorrow. I've gotten a good education. I've served. My family has served. And I want to continue to serve the people in this district. So when I was at West Point, I spent a lot of time in Robert E. Lee Barracks. and. There were so many times I walk into that building with a smirk on my face, thinking to myself, here I am. I'm going to go to sleep. To, I'm, going to, I'm going to go to sleep tonight in Robert E. Lee barracks. Now, this is General Robert E. Lee, like the guy that was a general for the, for the South, fought for the Confederacy against the rights of people that looked like me. And here I am. My brother, sister, and I have all matriculated through this fine institution. And I wouldn't have that perspective of how far we've come if it were named anything differently. See, I'm not a victim. This is proof that I am the victor in, the, in this conversation. And I'm not defined by the name on the building. In fact, that name on the building gave me the perspective of, wow, come a long way. It's a good reminder every now and again to have that. And if we start forgetting the past, both positive and negative, then we're doomed to repeat it after a few generations because they won't even know what happened. And you're seeing it happen already. Yeah, very quickly. Unfortunately. Like this next generation, they don't even, they, they just aren't taught certain things because why wow, we want to whitewash it or we don't like it or, or that was racist or that was this, that. No, 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 no. We need to hear all of this and have conversations about it. Right. A quick word from our sponsors and then we're right back to the show. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust a leading provider of U.S. oil field research known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash 0360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. Is there somebody that you view that, that articulates this well, that you look, that is in politics now, that does a good job of embracing a dialogue and keeping it uh going back to your cornell coffee days mm -hmm. you know i think a lot of us are searching for reasonable people and i, and I don't mean to be so simplistic but yeah. like just be reasonable right yeah. in that we're all kind of is there somebody you view today that is uh either side american european i don't care is there somebody that's doing politics like i like the way that guy does it or that girl does it senator tim scott okay Senator South, South, South Carolina. South Carolina. Yep. You follow him and you see how he conducts himself and how he leads with his heart whenever he speaks, whenever, whenever he even tries to pass any kind of legislation. It's just so pragmatic. And he tries to, he tries to communicate with as many people as he can with authenticity. Kills it. He nails it every time. Do you think he carries a heavier burden? Being the only, you know, black Republican senator, right. he does. Yeah. Again, I want to talk, I always want to talk about progress and how far we've come. 
and then how and then how can we continue to replicate that progress? Mm-hmm. Look, I, my great great grandfather was a slave. Think about that. I mean, Rose Down Plantation in Louisiana is still there today, and a couple generations later, you have you know six years of military service and three Westborn graduates at, at a one house. That's that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. That's remar- that doesn't happen in anywhere in the world, right. except for here here in the United States of America. Hard enough for one person to get Dude. into West Point. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. Well, maybe just to get personal for a minute, I mean, what is the last uh, the George Floyd mm-hmm. um, scenario of events really hit Houston, was yes. personal to Houston? Mm-hmm. So I mean, what is your personal experience just been the last uh, couple of months? I know you were running the campaign and kind of under the radar a little bit, but then obviously... You got asked for more interviews and yes. you know, hit the scene a little bit more. Yes. But I mean, what what has it been like for you to have these different conversations, not just as part of the campaign, right, but just in your everyday life here in Houston? Great question. She's she's smart. Anyway. That's that's why yeah. she's here. Yeah. So better questions. <laughs> um, my personal experience has been this: turn the TV off sometimes, and just think about your own personal life. And think about your own personal interactions. And I think if everyone did that for a little while, you'd find out that we're doing really well. And so, sure, this this has forced me to look back in my life and think about times that I have been discriminated against. I absolutely have. There's no getting around that. And I know that. I'd rather not talk about it, to be honest with you. Because I would rather talk about of every one time that I've been treated poorly, I can think of 10,000 times where I was treated very well. By people that didn't look like me, the people that did. I've been treated poorly by black people. I've been treated poorly by white people. I mean, this is not a this is not a, a, a as big of a race issue as as more of it as more as more it's more of a people issue, mm-hmm. a person, an individual issue. And because I've spent my life usually being the only black person in the room. I mean, when I first came to St. John's uh, and high, I went to St. John's for high school, and when I first got to middle school, I was the only black male in my entire grade when I first got there, and what I've realized is that, but those people embraced me though. They treated me very well, actually. By the time I graduated, they voted me to be the captain of the football team and the captain of the basketball team and a prefect. And, and, and they voted me to lead, even though I was a minority. And while there were times that I wasn't treated fairly, I'm the first to admit that. There's also a lot of times that I was treated quite fairly. There was an incident that happened to me in high school and it was, it was, it was race related and I was upset. And I was in the locker room. It was, it was during football practice. I was in the locker room and I was upset. And I was talking to a few of my buddies about it. And one guy came up to me afterward. And young white man, grew up in River Oaks, won't say his name. He pulled me off to the side. And he goes, Wesley, I understand why you're upset. And that's like, that's really awful. And like, I get it. You should be upset. The person probably shouldn't have said that. He goes, but I do want to tell you this. You've had a way better experience here at, here at St. John's than I have. I said, excuse me. He goes, he goes, I would trade places with you in a second. I stopped complaining at that point because then I realized something very quickly. And that's everybody has their struggles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like life is hard. Life is hard for everyone. And I do understand that certain groups have been disenfranchised more than others. I'm a part of that group. That's, that's actually not lost on me. But again, are we going to paint ourselves as being the victor or being the victim? My dad said it all, all the time to us. Are you the victor or are you the victim? And if we raise our children and we educate our young people to not be a victim, you'd be surprised at what that does to someone's mentality mm-hmm. and then how they perform later on in life. My dad never allowed us to make excuses, by the way. No, no doubt. It was always, it was, no, no, it was always your fault. It was never somebody else's fault. It was your fault. And if you didn't get something, it was your fault. Don't you ever blame anybody else for you not getting something. Are mom and dad still alive? They're still alive and well. What do they think about this? this? My dad my dad has put a hunt, a hunt for Congress sticker on every surface. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty proud. That's, that's great. Like I gave him a roll. The roll is gone. I mean, you just drive, you drive through Northwest Houston, you'll see just hunt stickers on stop signs. It's just dad. Like that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, they are very, they're very, they're very proud. And they, this is a product of, again, having two parents. And that's what I always push back on a lot of people of, of what's privilege. Privilege is having two 
parents that love and care for you. Fun fact about my dad, he did not miss a single football game while I was in high school. Every last game, he was there. So to have a father that was always around means a lot. And to have a loving mother that was very supportive means a lot. And notice, there's nothing to do with race, actually. Right. Nothing to do with race. There's everything to do with values. You know, this, this conversation, national conversation, has been, it's big. It's a big conversation. And it, and it um, you know, the oil and gas industry has opened itself up to diversity and inclusion, DNI for short. Yes. Is what, I mean, I, I'm, I guess yep. that's called yep. that everywhere. <laughs> but uh, so DNI has become a, a big deal. And I remember in the early 2000s when I started my career, it was, there were very few women in the business. The, in fact, for the first eight years, the only woman I ever worked with was my mom. Yeah. I mean, really that, that I ever saw. So, you know, the last five years, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, there's been a big diversity and inclusion push. And at first I didn't understand it. I just, I was like, well, what do you mean? What, what do we need to make such a big deal about it? But then you realize, you know, there, for every Wesley Hunt, there's another guy or girl that didn't get that set up, right? And that does have the brain power. And then there's, there's just a lot of opportunity here for people, I mean, like me, that, that need to hear these kinds of stories. And there are people that didn't have it as good as I did. That's right. And, and there's nothing wrong with taking a minute and saying, well, all right, well, what does that mean? Yeah. How can I impact that? person, female, male, black, white, whatever. And I just, I, I'm, I'm happy to see where the oil and gas industry is going. Yeah. We have a friend of the program named Leslie Byer. She's the uh, president of a group called PISA. Yeah. And Leslie is just actively um, pushing, pushing, I say pushing is the right word, but leading really the industry in that direction. So I, you know, I hope as, as you, you know, whatever happens in November happens. And, and as you go through and lead, I hope that the industry grows along what well, kind of with you and with the country yeah. and, and we're a big supporter. And quite honestly, back to Laura's point, I think Houston could be a great place for this to happen. We're, I think we got voted the most diverse city in America a couple yeah. of years ago, didn't yes, we? That's correct. Well, the, the oil and gas companies and the, I know the Houston community, I know other, in other parts of you know, London and Dubai and, you know, our industry has several different hubs, but um, companies have been putting a fresh mirror up mm -hmm. and saying, you know, what are we doing for um, our minority populations? What I mean by more minority is that there is a, you know, 80% of our population looks like X and 20% yeah. looks like Y. But then we also have a, a need to have a focus on inclusion, which is not just a, the, the issues around what is the population. It's how, what are our cultures like? What kind of culture of inclusion are we building within our organizations? Are we including anyone, everyone's skill set and voice in our leadership conversations? What do our boards look like? What do our leadership teams look like? And on the on so on down the chain. It's a very healthy moment in time it is. that it's it's pretty phenomenal, Wesley. You think about leadership teams for a number of Fortune 500s coming together, and a lot of them have employee resource groups. And I know you were introduced uh, to to several. Chevron has yeah. one, and some yeah. other large companies have employee resource groups around race and gender, and general focuses on equality. But I think for the first time in a long time, there's a focus on what can we do different going forward. Whether that's what regarding pipeline recruiting at different schools, um, recruiting at more diverse schools um, than you typically go to for just engineering uh, degrees, you know, we're getting talent from some sort of a, a broader range of organizations. There, then there's a look at what can we do differently as we promote people up the chain and get them qualified to have the big jobs mm -hmm. in the future. So it's it's a pretty uh, incredible uh, moment in time actually for people from a variety of different backgrounds who are working in uh, organizations like what we have in oil and gas uh, at this at this moment. It goes back to the, the point on energy. <clears throat> Do you have the energy to go lead? Because this is going to be a tough 10-year period. I mean, you're, you're going to be leading a lot of people that maybe don't want to be led right now. Mm -hmm. The country needs some uniting voices. So that's any, that's like a going back to the point. We only ask for reasonable people. <laughs> Just right. go, go be reasonable in DC right. if, if that's the way it works out. So. Right. Well, so Wesley, you've been pretty open recently on, you've had energy commercials and you've oh, yeah. been focusing on energy, which is great to see. And yeah. um, you, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you think is important that uh 
the government hears about and as far as yeah. about our industry or some things when you think of keeping the health, as you said, in our industry, which is so important, yeah. yes. some thoughts on how that health is propagated in the future? Yes. I, I think we, you're good, great, great question. I, I think we just need to be smart about how we move forward. And and, and right now we're treating this like, a, like it's a zero sum game. We're treating this like it's an or conversation where it needs to be an and conversation. And here's actually what I mean by that. I think we can all agree that we need to be good stewards of our environment. I think we need to be good stewards of the earth that this God gave us, that, that, the, the earth that God gave us. And I would never argue against that. If we don't get India and China and Russia and all these other countries on the same page, okay, you are literally going to destroy the energy industry here in Houston and there will be zero gain to the globe. And nobody is talking about this that way. So we've reduced our carbon footprint in the last couple of years from 15% to roughly 12% now, depending on what data that you're looking at. And we're, we are continuing to decrease it because of hydraulic fracturing. That, that, that's basically it. Uh, in natural gas, which has been a technological marvel that, that's, that, that's, that's changed an entire generation. 20 years ago, we would go to the Middle East, kill a bad guy, and then turn around and ask that same country for oil. Okay, You could see how that hurts our national security, if you could imagine. And now, because of fracking, we're in our energy independent. So when we go to Iran and kill Qasem Soleimani, we don't have to worry about it anymore. We don't have to ask them for anything anymore. The world is a better place. The world is safer. So let's just say we were, let's just say you, you know, we as the United States, as President, Vice, excuse me, Vice President Biden wants to do by 2035, and let's just have, you know, a net zero carbon emission in this country and basically do away with the fossil fuel industry. Will that have any impact on the globe? And the answer is no, because China and Russia and India are going to build more coal plants. They're going to shift the power of oil to these foreign entities. They're going to be able to make it cheaper. They're going to become the exporters of it. And you're only going to increase the world's carbon footprint. Does, does that make sense? Yes. And also increase the cost to the consumers. Also, for that so I was getting there. You got it. <laughs> that was my next, that was the next point. And, the, and, and who hurts the most? High energy prices because of the consumer. We in America as a private industry are doing this the right way. Okay, the, the, the Chevrons, the Exxon Mobiles, the BPs, the Shells, the big guys, they, they, are, they understand that there needs to be a blend here. Okay, nobody is saying that we don't need renewable energy. Nobody is saying that. That's a ridiculous argument. I mean, of course we do, because that's actually how we push the technological envelope to get to the next big thing. So we're not saying that. But, but the argument is, is that you don't just turn the lights off on one industry and then think that that's going to benefit the world. That's a, that, that's a very intellectually lazy conversation to have. Um, there are roughly a, a billion, a billion light trucks and vehicles in the world today that are gas powered. And over the course of the next 20 years, we're going to add another billion. And of that billion, 750 million of them are going to be gas powered. So let's have an honest conversation. So, so we're not, we're not going anywhere. I mean, I'm in a, I mean, I was an Apache pilot. Okay. You, you, there's no way to make an Apache renewable at this point for the next for the foreseeable future or an F-22 or an F-35 or fill in the blank for a myriad of different uh, oil and oil and gas and, and hydrocarbon needs just for the military alone. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you felt about having a uh, solar panel on your Apache to power you. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So nobody wants to have the conversation about Everything that we use is in some way tangentially related to our industry. It's just a smart – this is just there, – there's nobody being honest about it. Including us. The oil and gas industry right now is, is terrified, right? You're, you're watching a, yes. a downturn of epic proportions. Yes. Job losses that are mounting and continue to mount. A prevailing thought that this is never coming back. Losing talent to I – mean, I mean, everyone in this room has lost good friends to – Amazon or to, you know, some other industry, they're just like oil and gas. I'm 35. I'm out. Wait a minute. J give it a minute. Give it a this, minute. Give it a minute. This is not good. It's not for the rest of your life. You will, you will use oil and gas. You absolutely will. And, and honestly, that's what is so painful right now is, you know, it's one of those, you can't see the forest of the trees at the moment. Yes. And, you know, I, I wonder, I'm listening to you talk about oil and gas and you grew up, you know, in the right area, you understand that you, you know, that you went to the right schools. You're going to be uh, 
in power over a very important area for oil and gas. It sounds to me like you have a lot of good oil and gas contacts. And I'm I'm assuming that you have mentors or people that you go to for policy. Is that is that something that's been uh, abundant for you of people to go to for, hey, what does this mean? How should I interpret this? Or what what does that look like? Grew up with a lot of my friends when their parents were executives or in some way related to oil and gas industry. There is there is no shortage of advice <laughs> on the oil and gas industry that I could get from here in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's again, I always tell I always tell people it literally is our lifeblood. It literally is how we got here. It's how we it's how we made this this amazing city. And what a lot of people just 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 don't get is that there's nuance to these conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's always nuance. Like everybody wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater instantly. Or like, wait a minute, like just wait a minute. Like, like you do understand that that those Lululemon ties that you put on was like was a direct. He's result looking of- at me and saying that I'm actually wearing <laughs> jeans, but keep going. He wasn't looking at I, me. I, I know. <laughs> I, know I, I see. Yeah. and and his pink shoelaces. <laughs> yes, yeah, so definitely- but I, I love what you're saying that it's not a binary. That so many of the conversations we're having right now are exactly that: either right. on or off, or right or wrong. You know, you're saying natural gas <clears throat> or nothing. It's not like that. No, the not the, the actual conversation executives are having is about how to sustain an infrastructure. Like I said earlier of all these these different types of energy and um that that our community is right is the the spearhead for that it does feel like you're fighting for our city and and honestly that's that's one of the things that uh, i find because there is a gravitas about you there it's just it it's it's there and uh, you had something earlier you said where i i felt like we should just run through the walls and you know started early voting for somebody but uh I just I, I appreciate you being a, a local guy. I appreciate you being, you know, trying to fight the good fight for oil and gas uh, for your district. I wish you the best of luck. And um, is one of the questions, David, I'll let you wrap us up there that that we usually end with. If you want to go. One of the things we always ask our, our guests um, for any any advice or guidance that they would like to share with the audience or that they would have liked to have had themselves, say, 20, 30 years ago. Um, in terms of of life life lessons, guidance, advice that it could be one person or a lot of people could find helpful. Empathy goes a long way, and this is a kind of a controversial topic now. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up because it's actually something that should be brought up. You know, right now we're we're seeing a lot of talk of and a lot of kneeling during the national anthem and what that means and. The one thing that I fought for was for the right to people to, for, for for people to express themselves the way they want to is called freedom of speech. Okay, so I understand that, and I understand that actually the majority of the kneeling is actually not even against, you know, the nation or or against those that serve this country. I get that, but what I want the other side maybe to see is that I was on funeral detail in 2006, and on two separate occasions, I took a knee to hand a folded flag to a weeping spouse as they lowered her husband into the ground that served this country. Now, unless you've experienced that, unless you've seen that, you can't imagine how gut-wrenching that is. Mm. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking to hear it. It's heartbreaking. So when somebody then takes a knee, when the flag is waving, for the national anthem, when the one thing that we all have in common is the fact that we are all Americans first. That's the one thing that we have. That's the one glue that binds us all together. Can we take like one minute in solidarity to say, in spite of all that's going on in the world today, let's just look to our left, look to our right, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. Let's put it all aside and let's just like be Americans during, during, during this song for like one minute. Can we do that? And I want you to think about that soldier that has to deliver that flag and take a knee and hand it and say the words on behalf of a grateful nation. That's what we should be doing. And we need to be empathetic on both sides. We also need to understand that everyone that does choose to take a knee doesn't mean that they hate this country. It doesn't mean right. that at all, actually. That's their belief. That's how they feel. I understand that. They should, we should respect that. But I also want people to see the other side of it, too, and treat them equally 
That is a phenomenal way to end it here. So one of the things we like to do too is, is how can people get in touch with you? Where, where would you like them? If you could send them to some websites where you're pretty big on social media. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're doing, we're doing well on social media and uh, it's wesleyfortexas.com. Wesleyfortexas.com. Yeah, that's my site. And I'm on all the social media platforms. So. As Wesley for Texas? It'll be, it'll be Wesley Hunt. Wesley Hunt. Yep, yep, okay. Wesley Hunt. And yeah. David and I, easy to find. We, we never feel older and more crotchety than we're like, now what's the hashtag? <laughs> what, what hashtag are you known for? And it's brutal having to go through that kind of stuff with, with adults. <laughs> but listen, Mr. Hunt. We wish awesome. you the best. Awesome. And awesome. Uh, you're, you honestly, for nothing more than just being uh, positive and, and energy and whatever wall you go through, uh, let it be the right one. It sounds like you've made a life and a career out of that so far, and, and we wish you the best. Uh, Miss Schilling, thank hey, you for your thanks time. Thanks for letting today. me come back. Well, <laughs> so that is going to wrap us up um, on the uh, Oilfield 360 podcast. Wesley Hunt, good luck to you. Yeah, we are also on social media, hashtag Oldfield360. Uh, find us on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Nebraska, you still haven't downloaded us. It is disappointing. Find anybody who's listening. Call their friend in Nebraska. <laughs> Wesley's got some connections in Iowa. Yeah. Yes, that, exactly. I, I get that done. <laughs> we need, I need one person to download us in Nebraska. But Yes, so thank you from the Fletch Hazel Tequila Studio. Uh, looking forward to seeing you guys next time. Good luck to you all. Thank you. This episode of the Oilfield 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, eivcapital.com Galtway Marketing galtwaymarketing.com Range Valuation Services rangevaluationservices.com Merit Advisors meritadvisor.com World Oil worldoil.com Fletcher Azul Tequila fletchaazultequila.com For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and Company and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.